dare you? This is a quality of life issue. Hope in the face of uncertainty. Which side of history will you be on? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first ever full episode of Brace for Impact. This is Catherine and Lace, and we're so excited to finally get started. Today, we're going to talk about how Biden is tackling climate change in his first few weeks of office and what his new position as president and what he's going to do means for us. We've chosen to talk about this as our first full episode because of how distinctly different the U.S. government will be handling climate change because of the new switch in administration. Especially with the year 2020 defined by wildfires in California, Australia, and Brazil, record-breaking temperatures in Antarctica, devastating oil spills in Venezuela and Russia, and a president all the meanwhile that rolled back over 100 environmental policies, we thought we would start our episode on how this will change for the better. So after all of this chaos in 2020, we want to approach the rest of 2021 and the rest of the decade cautiously, especially with climate change and its devastating impacts right around the corner. We have the question, what are we going to do next? The question we'll be tackling today is, will he move fast enough and far enough to mitigate the catastrophic consequences of climate change? This leaves us with a lot of unknowns. So joining us to answer this question is Ryan Wallace, Vice President of the Northeastern College Democrats and also a fellow member of Net Impact at Northeastern. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. So before we kind of dive into Biden's plan and how you'll be talking about that, we kind of want to start for the listeners, give you an idea of what Biden has to work from, uh, meaning what Trump did over the course of four years that has been detrimental to our climate policies. So Trump went into office with the goal of scaling back 200 environmental protections, and he unfortunately succeeded at taking down 170. And the breakdown of these 170 acts he passed were 64 of them overturned regulations aimed at remedying air pollution and limiting greenhouse gas emissions. 14 of them completely did away with chemical safety laws, um, plastic water bottles, and farming pesticides that previously were banned that he allowed, um, allowing industry to profit more off of these pesticides and ways of producing plastic. 61 policies rolled back, protected against drilling, mining, and logging, again, favoring industry and how they're able to go about and profit off of their companies. 27 policies allowed for the violation of environmental orders in order to expedite approval of major infrastructure projects. For example, one of them was expediting the construction of a four-lane highway, and this had vast implications on the wildlife in that area. And then lastly, two protections rolled back aimed at holding the federal government accountable. So the very distinct policy that Trump kind of implemented was that scientific data could not be used in influencing public health decisions, uh, which is just extremely concerning. And now we're going to have Ryan come on and talk about what Biden is going to do to overturn what Trump has done and even more to go forward and help mitigate this. Given what Lath has just gone over after four years of Trump and looking back at what Biden has done in his first two weeks in office, Ryan, are you optimistic about what to expect on climate in the next four years with Biden in office? Yeah, so I actually am very optimistic, and I'm using Biden's first two weeks in office as a guide to my optimism. I know climate change is a very daunting issue. Uh, you know, it's important for all of our futures, but what Biden has done so far gives us lots of room for hope uh, for action on climate. 
And so, for example, Biden has taken action uh, to reverse a lot of the Trump policies as well as institute new standards and new um, agreements that will help uh, resolve climate change and mitigate lots of the effects. And so, um, just to go through a couple of these, uh, one of the big ones is obviously, as he made a promise to do this on day one, was to re-enter the Paris Climate Agreement. And this is huge for the international stage. Um, when talking about foreign policy as well, you know, Biden has made climate change uh, not only a domestic priority, but also a foreign priority. So re-entering the Paris Agreement was something that was definitely, you know, very crucial for this. And, you know, um, he's done other actions that have, that have taken this as well, uh, including appointing John Kerry as a um, foreign climate envoy uh, and giving him a seat at the National Security Council, which will make it, you know, critical uh, to advancing climate change as a global issue that it should be looked at. Uh, but domestically, he's done a lot of things, too, that are very important to note. Uh, so, for one, uh, he uh, halted uh, construction of the Keystone XL pipeline, which is a huge construction project uh, for oil and natural gas leasing. And, you know, that's going to, that would have had drastic environmental impacts and it would have been detrimental uh, for climate change. But reversing that project uh, was definitely a positive thing to do. Right. And that's been a fight since 2008. This fight represents what is wrong with our current energy system and the fact that we are still proposing to build any type of fossil fuel pipelines, but especially Tarzan's, which is the dirtiest of all oil, really showed that Biden was serious about having a just transition and really making real long-term change. Yeah, I think something that's interesting to consider is that as the United States is one of the biggest producers of CO2 emissions and greenhouse gases, and our industrial production is right up there with other countries as leading to the worst in the world, do you think spreading our aim of trying to influence other countries to also pass certain policies is stretching ourselves too thin while we have so much to worry about? Or do you think kind of this envoy that Biden has set up, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, includes two people, one who's a domestic, quote unquote, czar and an international czar. How do you see these playing and are we stretching ourselves too thin? Yeah, I think it's a great question and it's a very nuanced topic. You have to consider both sides. But at the end of the day, actions do speak louder than words. So you do have to focus domestically to back up your talks abroad in order to you know, actually influence other countries to take action actions against climate change and the detrimental impacts of it. And so uh, obviously you have to prioritize uh, domestic action on climate change first before you can be going around telling other countries, oh, like we're the global leaders in climate change. You know, the U.S. is number one and we can influence you guys to take action as well uh, to conserve our environment. So yes, I mean, he also nominated Gina McCarthy as the domestic climate czar to go along with John Kerry and they're both going to be very critical. But taking these domestic actions like uh, halting the construction of the Keystone Stone XL pipeline, like uh, eliminating all existing fossil fuel subsidies, uh, which are tax breaks for fossil fuel corporations, and halting all new oil and gas leasing on federal lands and waters for the future is showing that Biden's taking steps in the right direction domestically uh, to prevent climate change from impacting our future here at home. And then using those examples uh, abroad is definitely something that we can do. And as for if it's uh, stretching us too thin, you know, do we have a choice? Depends. Like, yeah, that's kind of where I do mean, we have a choice? Exactly. If we want to be stretched thin or not? Exactly. If we're not going to be stretched too thin, then who is? You know, yeah. who else is going to be a leader on this issue? You know, countries in Europe have been taking actions. They're all in the Paris Agreement, obviously. Uh, but now that we're back in, we really have the opportunity, you know, to be diplomatic leaders uh, on this issue. Right. And it, is there even the possibility of there being too much action? 
Right, I don't think there that really is. There really isn't. It really isn't. No, yeah. I mean, there's, there can be never too much action when we're on a race against the clock on this critical issue. So we've talked about the U.S. rejoining the Paris Agreement, the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, and Ryan makes a good point that in order for us to have influence abroad, we need to make sure our domestic plans for environmental policies are strong. So Ryan, can you go into more detail on what Biden has done so far? Yeah, absolutely. So Biden has actually done an immense amount of things and taken an immense amount of action on climate change for just two weeks into office. Um, you know, for one, he's revoked over 70 drilling permits from fossil fuel companies. You know, he's incited a plan to double offshore wind development by 2030 and instructed agencies to even expedite this process beyond what it already was during the Obama administration. You know, he's also rescinded a Trump-era guidance on federal agencies that said they don't need to take climate change impacts into consideration during their infrastructure projects. So, you know, thinking about the scope of infrastructure here and building things, you know, taking climate into account is crucial. And the fact that Trump even rolled that back in the first place is another story. But Biden taking that action is absolutely critical for domestic climate action. Um, in addition, you know, he's instituted a mandate that 40% of all federal sustainability investments go to disadvantaged communities, and he's established three new federal environmental justice offices, uh, one in the White House, uh, one in the Department of Justice, and another in the Department of Health and Human Services. And so those last two points are really critical because you need to be considering who is impacted most by climate change, and that absolutely is disadvantaged communities and minorities. And so the fact that um, Biden is taking action on climate in that regard is also, you know, very crucial. And he's also created a goal of conserving 30% of U.S. lands and waters by 2030, as well as committing uh, going net zero electricity by 2035. And so all of these standards and all of these actions are absolutely essential to do in order to follow the lead of scientists and the data and to act on climate now and try to do enough, fast enough, uh, to mitigate these effects. Right, and as you said earlier, um, this disproportionately impacts certain communities, and Biden targeting 40% of investment benefits to disadvantaged communities is so crucial to start tackling environmental and climate justice in the U.S. Low-income communities and communities of color are impacted the most by the effects of climate change. So what we mean by um, this under the umbrella of climate change is that certain communities are disproportionately impacted by various effects such as storm surges and hurricane seasons, which are getting longer as average temperatures across the globe increase, and the storms themselves are becoming more severe, especially, for example, on the southeast of coast of the United States. And when this happens, more affluent, typically white communities will be able to retreat to areas that are safer and those who are less resilient and less capable of, one, affording, and two, simply just being able to move around that easily will feel the impacts the most. Another example with the history of institutional racism in the United States, environmental pollution, for example, disproportionately impacts certain communities. More than half of the people who live close to hazardous, wa hazardous waste are people of color. And because communities of color are disproportionately victimized by environmental hazards and are far, far more likely to live in areas with heavy pollution, they have more chronic health issues that the majority of more affluent white communities are able to escape and not have to deal with. And as an effect, when we continue to see worsening effects of climate change, therefore these people are increasingly less resilient and more at risk to what we will see in the next 15 years and more. So the term environmental justice is definitely new and definitely something we're seeing as the fight for climate change progresses. Um, my question for you, Ryan, is why has this just become the forefront of policy and 
is it actually the first time and why so late? So yeah, this is absolutely the first time it really is at the forefront of the policy discussion. And the reason for this is when you think back uh, to the Obama administration and even before then, and the paradigm of how climate change was phrased uh, within the debate uh, for, for conserving the environment, um, you know, it was phrased as, you know, you're weighting environmental actions against economic actions. And almost always back then, you know, consumers and everyday Americans did not recognize the full scope of the impact of climate change, especially on minority communities. And they were just like, oh, it's going to hurt our wallets. You know, it's going to hurt the American economy. Um, but as time has progressed, you know, scientists have continued to warn about these drastic impacts. And we are moving closer and closer to those timelines where the damages will be irreversible. And so for that matter, you know, more studies have been done on it, more data has come out, and it is showing that, you know, these minority communities are going to be impacted more than others. And so, you know, when you're thinking about uh, the scope of the Democratic Party and how that's also moved farther to the left, you know, they've not only just considered, oh, we need to appease the Americans, um, the American voters by caring about their wallets, but we also have to think about our voters and we also have to think about you know, people who are impacted most. And in that case, it's thinking about environmental justice. And so within the 2020 primaries uh, for the Democratic nomination to challenge Trump, a bunch of different candidates you know, brought up this, um, this theme of environmental justice because it's critical to not only you know, use certain talking points that, oh, it's not worth taking these actions because it's going to be harmful economically, but it's going to be actually helpful and beneficial uh, if we do take these actions uh, to restore justice and bring justice uh, to communities that need it most. Yeah, I think you make an important point, too, in that when we think of climate change, it is a very large-scale problem. We think of global warming, we think of our oceans being polluted, we think of our air being polluted, and almost always we fail to look at the implications it has on human life. Yeah. And you bring up the point that we start caring about these things when we know people are going to either increasingly get more diseases from it or possibly lead to life-threatening diseases. And I think it's important for us to continue to recognize that individual people every day before we reach those CO2 levels, if we do, hopefully not, mm. are being affected by this. Right, and although it does strike a nerve with us when we hear that human life is at risk, we have to remember that this is not a new issue. The environmental justice movement has been organized and led by black communities since the 1980s. So although we're just starting to hear about environmental justice at the forefront of climate policy in the last couple of years, we also have to think, where has this focus been in the Democratic Party for the past few decades? Yeah, so back to his policies, actually. Um, we kind of see how he's been approaching this, and Biden took office two weeks ago, and a lot of how he's been enacting these environmental policies is through executive orders. So my question, and definitely almost a concern, is that Biden was very adamant on pledging bipartisanship. He wanted Republicans and Democrats alike to look at him as their president. So after pushing through 25 executive orders in his first two weeks of office, many of them relating to climate action, how do you think this route of using executive orders is a sustainable way to go about this change? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a very valid concern, Leif. Like, the answer probably is that it is not a sustainable method of doing this, but it is probably the optimal method for doing this right now and taking action fast enough. You know, one of the things we're talking about is, uh, is Biden going fast enough to tackle these effects? And so when you think about, you know, the political landscape right now, 
you know, Democrats have 50 seats in the Senate, Republicans have 50, Kamala Harris could be the tiebreaker on certain votes. But when you're trying to introduce certain legislation onto the floor, you need a 60 uh, vote majority in order to avoid uh, being filibustered and not even getting your vote onto the floor uh, for any sort of climate legislation. And so you're thinking about, you know, the moderate Republicans and the moderate Democrats who are on that fringe right now. And especially in the Senate, you know, you just got to think about what these political concerns are for a lot of these senators. You know, thinking about um, these, you know, key votes. You have Joe Manchin from West Virginia. He's a moderate Democrat, you know, from a big coal state. You know, is he going to vote, you know, in favor of this climate legislation? You have moderate Republicans on the other side. You have Lisa Murkowski, senator from Alaska. Um, you know, she was very uh, displeased with Biden's decision to cancel the Keystone Pipeline, you know, with Alaska being, you know, very close geographically to Canada and that being a major source of uh, oil and natural gas for them. And so, you know, when you're thinking about this landscape, it's almost impossible to foresee, you know, any quick action or any action really at all getting through uh, this, you know, veto-proof majority. Um, and so it's actually sad, you know, because Biden did campaign on being a bipartisan president in this regard. Um, but it is just not a realistic or a viable option when we are trying to follow the data and the facts in getting these things through. Right, because Biden can't just operate on executive orders for four years. He cannot, and that's true. And so he's going to have to make the effort in order to try and convince some of them. You know, in the 2022 midterms, we'll see what happens there. But it, it's probably unlikely that Democrats are able to get 60 seats in the Senate there, too. So, you know, you're going to have to think about some more creative solutions to this problem, to advancing legislation quicker, whether it's ending the filibuster or whether it's, you know, as you were mentioning, Laith, uh, you know, establishing certain, like, term limits uh, on these bills. And do you think him going about this through executive orders is going to continue to make climate change and climate action a more bipartisan issue for future legislation? Because right now we definitely hear these are necessary policies that need to be passed. We need them right now in order to enact the change that will lead us to not seeing um, permanent effects. But in terms of policy being passed after Biden's presidency, would this have an effect on um, seeing even be it moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans, um, very conservative Republic Republicans ever coming along and voting along with climate change legislation? Right, yeah. I think, um, you know, while it is concerning, you know, the whole executive order situation, it is going to change the narrative. You know, we're living in a very different time than the end of the Obama presidency where Trump can just, you know, ignore all these climate precautions and, you know, roll back all his, you know, fuel economy standards and whatever climate provisions there may be. But by the end of the Biden presidency, um, if assuming that, you know, with the hypothetical that a Republican takes office in 2024 or even in 2028, that would even prove the point even more. You know, um, it's going to be closer to these deadlines that scientists are saying where these drastic effects are going to happen. And so um, the narrative will start to shift over the next four to eight years on how necessary these are. And obviously, you know, you still have the Trump base, you still have those people who care about their jobs. But once we start to make these shifts, because that's the thing about these executive orders, it's going to start to make the changes uh, more quickly than legislation would, you know, over the next one to two years for a lot of these things. Yeah. And so once you start to see this transition towards clean energy, towards climate uh, protection, you know, the narrative can shift and then it will be more likely uh, to, you know, as Biden says, unite the country behind certain ideals, including, you know, uh, attacking climate change. 
Okay, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, do you have any final words that you want to share? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. First of all, it's been uh, a pleasure for sure. But, you know, the last thing I would say is, you know, over the course of the next four years to keep uh, pushing Biden to ensure that he continues to take action like he has done in the first two weeks uh, on climate change uh, to not only make progress domestically, but also abroad uh, to ensure that this transnational issue and this climate crisis is really resolved. So use your voice and continue to use the democratic process uh, to push this issue uh, so we can get it resolved. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another very exciting episode, so stay tuned for that. And big thank you to our editor, Greg Gold, and our graphic designer, Brandon Fogarty, for all their hard work. See you guys next week.